Welcome to Career Central with Lorraine Beeman. In this program, you will hear from career management experts who will provide guidance and strategies to help you advance or change your career. Now, here is your host, Lorraine Beeman. Welcome to Career Central and our first show of 2021. I'm Lorraine Beeman, your host of an hour totally committed to helping you achieve your career goals. If you started the new year by setting career goals, share them with us by sending us an email at careercentralhost at uh, gmail.com. Career Central is here to help you reach those goals, and we can only do that if you let us know what they are. Our guest this morning is going to share how each of us can make a difference in our work environment. And that is probably the requirement that most of the folks looking for jobs right now are asking for. They want to know how they can make a difference. Lauren Epstein has committed himself to mitigating unconscious bias throughout organizations. We invited him to the show this morning because we share his vision for a world where all people have the opportunity to share their full potential through their livelihood. Lauren, welcome to Career Central, and thank you for joining us today. How about you tell our listeners a little bit about your career path that brought you to where you are today? Absolutely, Lorraine, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Happy New Year. Oh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, it's a great way to kick off the year, and I'm sure everyone that's listening is looking for something to get their year going. Um, so I spent a little over 20 years in talent acquisition. I led uh, teams of people who recruited uh, engineers and other employees for companies, uh, for global companies, national companies, and I loved it. Um, uh, a number of years ago, I wrote a book on how to interview called You're Hired, Interview Skills to Get the Job. And... Uh, a, Several years ago, I developed this unconscious bias workshop for a federal client. And earlier this year, uh, because of COVID, I had the opportunity to do it by Zoom. We had over 140 people and it just kind of took off. So I've been focusing all my energies on developing more content and delivering these workshops, which are all experiential on unconscious bias. At the same time, I'm in a master's program. I'm doing a master's in organizational development and knowledge management at George Mason University. So, and I've clearly with the gray hair, I've got a lot of experience, but like you, which was so great to hear that, that you, since you were a kid, have had a, a sense that people should have great jobs. And I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's a lot of us who are doing everything we can to share, share our wisdom, share our knowledge, share tools, or even like you're doing is just exposing your audience to people like me who, who really want to make a difference. So that's my background. Uh, I live in Arlington, Virginia with my wife, Alicia, in a 100-year-old house uh, that, you know, needs lots of love and work. And I'm so excited to be on the show. Well, we're excited to have you because the the issue of unconscious bias, um, as as you said, you've been doing workshops for years. Um, Our goal here is to get that information out, let our listeners know uh, about this issue in the workplace and what they can do to help change it. So let's just start by defining what unconscious bias is. That's a great question. So unconscious bias is a function of the brain. So in your brain, everyone's got a brain, everyone has unconscious bias, right? And the two words, unconscious means that you're not aware that it's happening. So you don't know what's going on. And bias is really just a, a, a preference of one thing over another. Now, unconscious bias is different than preference or choice because those are conscious. Like, I love being with my wife. I consciously love being with her. 
but my unconscious bias about other things is something I'm not aware of. And when I say it happens in the brain, um, human beings, humans are maybe 200,000 years old, so give or take. And when we first came about, our major concerns were safety and survival. And so our, what would be called our reptilian brain or our primal brain has components to it that are designed to keep us safe. And specifically, those are what's called the amygdala uh, and the hippocampus. And what happens is that the amygdala is constantly scanning, constantly scanning all of our senses. And it's also looking in our hippocampus to see if there's something that reminds it of that. So if I see a guy walking down the street who looks like my dad, and I love my dad, unconsciously, I might go, wow, I really like that guy, or I might have an affinity for that guy. That's not me making the choice. That's my amygdala automatically going back into my hippocampus saying, hey, this looks like your dad. That's good. And why we had that was because, Lorraine, if you or I were in the jungles or the forests or wherever we were hundreds of thousands of years ago, we would see a group of people across the way. And the first thing we would do is either leave or fight, right? We would just do one of those two things because we knew that if, you know, that could be danger. And that's still with us. That part of our brain is still with us. And it's good because if you're driving along the highway, like a lot of folks listening are, have not now, but have driven on the highway and you notice that you jag to the right or jag to the left before you notice the danger, that's your amygdala. That's your amygdala and your hippocampus physically doing these things. So, so the amygdala and that, all that, that, that unconscious bias is really good. Where it becomes a problem is that if you're making decisions and a, a really good example of, of unconscious bias was that in the, the National Basketball Association, some researchers uh, researched thousands of fouls that were called by referees on players. And what they noticed was that uh, white referees called more fouls on black players and black referees called more fouls on white players. So they did this study and they released the information. Now, this is not conscious, right? The referees are trained to be unbiased. That's what they're designed to, to make good calls. And they didn't want to be biased. So when they released the information, what happened was three years later, they did the exact same study and they didn't modify any of their behaviors like overtly, but they noticed that all of that bias was statistically gone. And it was gone because the referees saw this, they heard it, they were able to just become more conscious to it. And that is really all that it takes often to become conscious to something to make it, you know, like you're not going to do it anymore. You're just aware. So let's bring it down to the, the workplace, because I really like what you're saying is it's, it's not on purpose. Um, and I think that's why so many people go, well, I, I don't think I'm biased, but it's, it's happening in that part of the brain that is functioning without our, our giving it any input. So how about some examples at, at work that we can all relate to where sure. unconscious bias um, seeps in? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So everyone, you know, meetings, right? People go to meetings and sometimes the boss will say something in a meeting that sets the tone. Like either they like what's going on or they don't like what's going on. Mm -hmm. So unconsciously we may mirror that, right? Like if we're, we want to be on the good graces of the boss, we're just going to mirror what the boss says completely unconsciously, but we do, right? That's, that's one way bias can take a, take a effect. Um, another is interviewing, right? So when people, mm -hmm. a lot of organizations don't have a lot of diversity because in the interviewing people, you know, there's the like people who are like me effect, 
right? Mm-hmm. You're like me, so I, I like you. And this is a very unconscious bias. It's for everyone has this. I do an exercise in my workshop where you see you got this. Uh, and that's another way that we bias. So the ways that we can mitigate those things is to a couple of things. The simplest one, uh, stand up meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So before anything happens that's important in the organization where, where you have to make a choice, you get with the people that you're making this choice with, like an interview, and you just kind of go around and say, okay, what, what, what are we doing? What is your role? And they, a bunch of surgical staffs in Chicago did this, and they noticed that the efficacy, the outcomes of the surgeries were much better because everyone just knew who they were, what their job was, and there was like a, everyone was aware of what was happening right now, like a little huddle. And why it's a stand-up is because, you know, you don't want to be sitting down. It shouldn't take more than a couple of minutes. So if we're going in for a, a promotion, we all go around the room. Who we, you know, who are we? What are we doing? Well, we're thinking about giving this person a promotion, and here are some of the criteria, and we just go around the room, and everyone knows. That's a simple, simple, simple thing. Another thing that can be done, like with interviewing, I'm a big proponent of things like scorecards, where you can take some of that bias out, where people, the interviewers, will actually check part of their interview, not the whole interview, but part of their interview is checking giving scores to candidates based on different criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way to interview people is experientially, like having people do the task or one of the tasks or a piece of a task that's demonstrable before you hire them. This way, you know, you can clearly see this is what the person can do. So these are some of the things that, you know, some of the, how it shows up and some of how it can get mitigated. And it's never perfect. It's never going to go away completely. But if we can shift it, even just a little bit, people will feel better. What about um, employee to employee? Uh, are there things that you see that um, employees say to each other that have that unconscious bias, which obviously they, they're not aware of, but it's maybe impacting communication between coworkers? Yeah, I think that's, that's yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're all, um, you know, I think that the, the biggest the biggest hurdle here, and you said it earlier, is there is nothing wrong with having unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there's nothing wrong with having unconscious bias, there is nothing wrong with being a human being. Mm-hmm. Right. And if there's nothing wrong with being a human being, then however you're being is just how you're being. Right. Now, people may have preferences. You know, if you're, if you're doing something that is bothering someone, you probably don't want to do that. So communication is key. Right. And, and this, it gets tricky, right? Different organizations have different ideas around it, but, and organizations can put policies in to give people the opportunity to, to, to speak to each other with more, with more openness, more kindness. I'll give you an example. So what would you think, Lorraine, let me just give you a story. So this actually happened. This is a true story. So there was a, a, a young man, he was in law school and he was almost done with law school. And there was a young woman who worked at a very prestigious law firm. And the man was going to get a, a job at the law firm, like a summer internship. So he interviews with the woman, and he finds he's very attracted to her. So he starts working there. And halfway through his internship, he asks her out. And she says, no, I don't want to go out with you. So he asks her out again. And eventually, she relents, and they go out. Now, you're a professional. You're an HR professional. Would you think that was harassment? You know, it, it's, yeah, and I know I, I know where you're going with this, but yes, it, it starts to be that um, 
romance in the in the workplace, which you know is a, is a challenge, and it changes the the dynamics between two people. Yeah, and you, so you know, this is uh, you know Michelle and Barack Obama. Right, that's how they met. That was their courting ritual, and and they got obviously they got married, and they're still married and happily married with two children. So so what companies have done, which is this is the interesting part, yeah. is that they've made policies around dating. So one company said, okay, you can ask someone out on a date. You're allowed to ask anyone out on a date unless you work for them or they work for you. You can ask anyone out, but you can only ask once. If they say no, you can't ask again. But the person who you asked, if they say no, they can always come back to you. Now, you know, you can make that twice or whatever, but yeah. so that they're, what they're doing is they're creating a very clear uh, guardrails, clear boundaries for this happens at work. People ask each other out. That's what happens. Here's how you can do it. I love that example because, again, um, trying to accommodate in the workplace what is a natural instinct, but also giving protection to to all the individuals in, involved. I love that example. What other things happen in the workplace um, that we can be aware of that maybe you know, our listeners can take an active role, like advocating for a dating policy with HR. I mean, that's a, a perfect example, you know, rather than sneaking behind, you know, the boss and getting discovered and all of that, just being up front and saying, yeah. how about we develop this policy? Can you think of other, other things that maybe, again, uh, we talk a lot about how our listeners can improve their work environment. And so I think this yeah. has got great potential. So what else, what other things can we do? So the second one, just to kind of riff on that, is that an employee or a group of employees can ask for policies around communicating breakdowns. This has always been like my kind of my um, my pet peeve is that it's great when everyone's happy together, but what do we do when things aren't working out? Yeah. And if a company can say, okay, look, if we have a, a policy that says, you know, Mary and Jane, one of them is not happy with the other. So here's the policy. The policy is that they, they'll meet in a room with a third party or not a third party, up to them. They both have to agree, and they both have to agree to meet, and then they're just going to have a, a conversation. And it could be either, a, you know, like they can, it could be a facilitated conversation or an unfacilitated conversation, but with the intent of, of communicating what really matters. And before I would do that is as a company, I would have models of what good communication skills are. How do we resolve an issue so that you model? And that's really important. So the leadership has to model. If the leadership is not modeling any of these things, then you're not going to get any traction, right? Because people are going to see the leadership don't take this seriously, so I'm not going to take this seriously. Yeah. So key to any of this is that the leadership in the organization, they have to demonstrate this stuff. This is culture stuff, right? This is not process of how we build a better machine. This is how do we treat each other and how do we work with each other? Yeah. Um, I think that, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So I think that in a lot of organizations, people, the employees and HR want to feel like HR is there for the people. But in reality, HR is there to protect the corporation. And this is a very fine line, right? So protecting the corporation is having happy employees. Well, how do we have happy employees? Well, you know, the, employee, the HR has got to create policies that walk that line to give employees as much as they can within reason, right? There's always the within reason. 
But I, I always feel that if there is a problem, even if it sometimes if you bring it to the attention of leadership, especially if you put the dollars and cents, um, the high turnover is very expensive for companies. The unhappy employees are not as productive. So I guess I would encourage listeners, if this is going on in your work environment, think about ways that you can appeal to the leadership going and saying, oh, gee, we all want to be happy may not be a sell, but gee, look at the turnover or, you know, our, our productivity levels could be higher. We could be more efficient. We could, you know, produce a better product. Um, and that part of that is, you know, that communication, that unconscious bias. I think, um, I think you've really, really hit, hit a, a topic that I think all of us can um, embrace and say, we need to be part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And there's great examples out there. Uh, Myers-Briggs, the testing company, mm-hmm. an employee actually had them become a benefit corporation, which totally changed their model. I mean, they're a for-profit company, but it really changed the focus of, of how they make decisions. So there are examples out there, I mean, too numerous to, to say, and it may be harder in one organization than another, but it's possible, right? If, if there is so much creative, there's so many cool creative things going on out there in the HR space. To make work to make the workplace uh, more joyful. We need to take a very short break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Lauren more about me, the HR, how we can work within an organization, and then talk a little bit about his work in terms of helping the leadership um, of an organization make changes in the areas of unconscious bias. Stay with us. We'll be right back and continue our conversation with Lauren. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you worried your job will end? Is there someone in your life who is facing a layoff? Career transition specialist Lorraine Beeman has condensed 20 years of experience helping people cope with sudden unemployment into an easy-to-read how-to book, Career Restart. Practical advice for surviving and moving forward after a job loss. Knowing how to handle a job loss will help you move into your next job. This book guides you through the restart of your career, from how to prepare for a termination meeting to how to respond to interview questions about your job loss. Lorraine's book offers strategies for moving from terminated to hired. Tap into proven methods for changing the focus from job loss to career success. Career Restart, practical advice for surviving and moving forward after a job loss. Available at Amazon.com. Click the link on the Career Central show page to pick up your copy today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Career Central. To reach the program today, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, you may send it to Lorraine at interviewtowork.com. That's Lorraine at interview, the number two, work.com. Now, back to Career Central. Welcome back to Career Central and our fascinating conversation with Lauren Epstein, who has been talking about the challenges of dealing with unconscious bias. What we learned in our first segment, which has really um, felt made me feel good, is that we all have unconscious bias. It's just part of who we are. And so we just want to identify, work with it. He gave us some great examples of how we can deal with it in the workplace. I want, I don't usually like to go to the negative, but I would like to just touch a little bit, Lauren, about what is the negative impact of unconscious bias on our work environment? How, how can it hurt? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So yeah, just to, to recap, unconscious bias is a, a function of our brain, the amygdala and the hippocampus recalling past the past to your present and making what you're seeing in the present like it was the past. So you're not really, you're not fully experiencing what's going on now. And to answer your question, um, you know, there was a Supreme Court case not too long ago uh, with a woman who was pregnant working at UPS and she was, um, she was harassed by her employer. So the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So if you're UPS, you don't think you want a case to go to the Supreme Court. And she won, you know, but so that's like the ultimate negative things, right? So if you're an HR professional and um, there's, you know, there's, there's risk involved legal risk, legal exposure, uh, employers, uh, W-2 employees are covered by uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, so you can't be discriminated against because of various uh, uh, dimensions. And a host- making a workplace a hostile place is a function of unconscious bias. So if some people are being unconsciously biased in a very persistent and very uh, uh, maligned way, that could create legal exposure. So really specifically, if you're an employment a company with 100 employees and only two women, and only one of the one person is African-American, you are open to some serious lawsuits. Because if, if a, a woman applies and she doesn't get the job, she can say you're discriminating against me. And the courts would probably agree because you only have one or two women working there, that's a problem. And that you would then have to pay court costs and settlements, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you definitely want to, as a company, watch your, uh, you know, and there's lots of metrics for diversity and inclusion. One, high turnover, right? If there's a very high turnover in a company and high turnover, it's different for different industries, but, you know, beyond 20%, 15, 20% a year, uh, which means 15 to 20% of the employees are leaving every year, could be considered kind of getting into the high route, right? And if you have like 40 or 50, that's high. And you don't want that. It's expensive. You were saying earlier, it costs employers a lot of money to hire and to replace somebody, particularly if you're losing people you don't want to be losing, right? So are you firing people or are they quitting? Like if you have a lot of people quitting, that's not good either, right? There's a huge, like your business will not continue to get traction if you keep letting go of people because whatever they're doing keeps getting stopped and thwarted by them leaving and having to bring someone else new on. So, so those are some of the, you know, also, you know, there's antagonism at work. I mean, if there are people who, who don't like each other, 
in a very strong way, particularly like, you know, managers who don't like each other, that actually filters down. Like, you know, it's like the tribe, right? So the manager A's team doesn't like manager B's team and vice versa. You have all sorts of problems. And this is very common in, in companies um, for a variety of reasons, right? So it's so important to, to mitigate unconscious bias because all of these things underneath it is unconscious bias. You know, why one manager doesn't like another manager it's probably like some old story that was a, probably a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or, a, you know, an un, so clear those things up and you won't have those kinds of problems. So and most of it is really, again, communication, but those are some of the bad things that can happen. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I, you're asking for the really horrible things. I mean, I would imagine cr criminal activity uh, in the workplace uh, underneath it is unconscious bias that people feel wronged. So they have to wrong back. Um, and, you know, generally people are not trying to wrong others, you know, unless they feel like they, they, they were wronged, right? But we do anyway, because we're just sensitive to our surroundings. You know, if someone doesn't call me for two months, I'm like, oh, they don't like me anymore. Well, that's not true. Maybe they just are doing other things and they love me. Like I have friends like that, you know, who we don't talk for a while, but they're busy. So I don't know, does that kind of answer your question? It does. And the reason um, I, I brought it up is for those people who are in a work situation right now that you described perfectly, one team doesn't like another team, which for employees causes a lot of stress. It's not, it doesn't have to be that way. There no, are options. No, yeah. And I think that's the important thing is to understand there are options. Your first option is to help try and solve the problem. And I want to dig down again. Um, I think that each of us in the workplace can try to make it better. Sometimes, like you said, if the leadership really is opposed to change, then, you know, that's a whole different discussion. But um, there are things I think that each of us can do. And so I want, while you're here, I want to kind of um, get your ideas on maybe welcoming a, a new person to the workplace. How do you make that first greeting um, Absolutely. I guess we, yeah. So before we say that, I wanted to say that people listening might be thinking, well, why do I have to do the work? Right. I mean, I've said that <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's my, like my, in my mind, my child, my my young self, right. Mm -hmm. My non-responsible self, my wanting to be taking care of self, but in the world as an adult, I have an opportunity to take responsibility for my actions and for everything that I can do. And if I'm hearing the message, like, Folks listening, you're hearing this message. It's up to you. Yeah. It's up to you because you're the one hearing the message. And if you do this at work, it could resonate and change the culture at your office. So don't be feeling like, oh, man, why am I always the one that has to make peace? Why am I always the one that has to say I'm sorry? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, you're the one listening, right? And that's how it is. And, you know, you got it. just like you have a choice. You can do it or not do it. But it is. It's you because we don't live in a society where the supermajority of people take ownership of how they communicate and relate to each other. We just don't live in that society, right? We live in a different one. So that is, uh, that's the opportunity. Welcoming employees. So I'm gonna tell you an example of like one of the best I've ever heard of welcoming employees. So a new employee comes to the office, person comes through the doors and their team or the whole company is there like, clapping, like welcoming them in, like, yay, come on in. And they're like, wow, like I'm just like physically welcomed into the company, right? They go to their desk and before they came, you know, whatever foods or drinks they like were noted 
and it's on their desk or, you know, they got like some snacks, some drinks, all the right equipment, right? So they're not waiting for anything, their business cards, everything's set up. Like, like if you were going to bring, if you, Lorraine, if you were coming to my house for dinner, we would set the table. Mm-hmm. We'd put a nice new tablecloth on. I'd make some really nice food. Maybe not the stuff that I normally eat. Uh, I'd put candles out. And that's what we should do for people that come and join the company. Now we may say again, well, that, that, that didn't happen to me. Well, that's what's called making things better, right? If you're going to make things better, which is the best you can do, then you've got to look for ways to make it better for the people that come after you. We make, we, we do, if you're a parent, you do everything you can to make it better for your children. If you're an employer, do everything you can to make it better for the people that work for you, because it'll just create that culture and it'll become the norm. So people can come in, everyone knows them, you know, maybe before they came in, everyone knows who they are. They know their name, they know their background a little bit. So it's not like they come in and, and it's like, who are you and what are you doing? Right. Think about all the creative ways that cost virtually nothing for an employee to be welcomed. I mean, putting some snacks on their table, having people, you know, clap them in at nine o'clock for a few minutes. That's that's peanuts. And you know what? The, the data is clear. It is clear on two points. One, that the first day of work is the most important day in the person's career and will predict their longevity and productivity with the company. And the second is that, um, and all the data points to this, companies that have greater diversity and inclusion are more profitable and more productive. Companies that have less unconscious bias have more diversity and more inclusion. So, I mean, there's, there's data that shows that Harvard Business Review, Why Diversity Matters, uh, Myers-Briggs, not Myers-Briggs, excuse me, um, 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 oh, I can't think of it, but another big consulting company They've done a lot. There's a lot of research. McKinsey? Yeah, McKinsey. McKinsey, McKinsey work, study. Yeah. yeah. And I'm happy to share with you some of these things if you want to post it on the, the YouTube channel. Before. Links that people can read this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, this is like, it's nice to think that Lauren over here, this guy from Brooklyn is like just talking. But this is this data that backs this up. A lot of data. A lot of companies that have, have done these things that had great efficacy. Did I answer all the questions in that that you had you, there? You did. And I want to reinforce some of the things you said. One is that first day is the most important day. And then each of us can and be a part of it. If the tradition at your company is not to welcome someone like that, maybe it's just you and three other coworkers that start this tradition. But the idea of welcoming somebody to your team, and if you have to have a selfish reason, having a highly productive member of your team means that you have less work to do. Um, if you know, if you think about, you know, turnover being a, an HR problem, think about the fact that when somebody leaves, the work is equally divided between those who remain. And so you probably have gone through, if there's high turnover, you've gone through periods of, of stress because you've had to take on extra work and then somebody comes and you start to have hope it's going to change and then they leave. So um, again, it's, it's great if HR and leadership does that, but to keep your own work environment um you know, stable and happy, you know, uh, initiate this. Even if you're a, a party of one, you know, tell your boss, gee, you know, we have a new employee. I'd really like like to welcome them. And to reinforce what you said is um, actually make sure that the, the new employee has someone to eat lunch with and take a break with. Because if they go home at the end of the day and they have had a very lonely day, that's what they think. Oh, you know, I'll just go to work, but there won't be any social interaction. So I, I would recruit- examples. Thanks. I was recruiting at Bell Atlantic uh, decades ago and I, I hired a guy and like a day or two after maybe two or three days after he started, I went up to see him 
And I see him and he's sitting at his desk. I'm like, how's it going? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I've just been sitting here. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I just came in and I just came and I sit here and nobody talks to me. I don't know what to do. So for two or three days, this guy came into work and nobody talked to him. Nobody. And I was like, wow, that blew my mind. But that was like a, uh, that's how it can be for people. Like they come to the office and I've had this experience where I come to a new place and there's not the technology. My office isn't cleaned. Um, like how do you want to be treated, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a, you know, is a great philosophy around onboarding and onboarding, having a proper onboarding plan, like, you know, so that they, they get in those first 60, 90 days, you know, you make those first 60, 90 days good. It's going to save you money forever. You know, you think people, some people stay at companies for years and years and years. And you look back and say, well, how was it when you first started or what was your experience? And you hear these stories of just like, oh, I was, you know, it was good. I, I love that. And again, each of us can, can make that difference in our workplace, which is making a difference for a coworker and, you know, opening up communications. A lot of our listeners also have the opportunity to sit in on uh, interview panels. A lot of companies I know, um, I know you know, are doing you know, panel interviews where a lot of times the team members get invited in um, along with hiring managers. And I know you're an expert on interviewing and unconscious bias. If you're sitting in on that interview panel, what kinds of things can you be sensitive to that you can give feedback to the panel or make sure that you're not perpetuating an unconscious bias? So a couple of things. One, you would asked me earlier about what can individuals do. Mm -hmm. So my top two things is breathe. Take slow deep breaths, take two or three slow deep breaths. And physiologically, this unhooks the amygdala. It actually directs, redirects the energy that your amygdala is spending and puts it into your prefrontal cortex, which is in the front part of your brain. And it stops that kind of, you know, that, that unconscious thing going on, right? So breathing is simple to get you present. And when you're present, you're like 98% better. So that's one thing you can do. The other is what kind of questions are being asked and that those questions should be curated. Right. Nobody should be asking a question that they just make up in the interview. That just shouldn't happen. And the reason is that um, it may or may not be a good question if you haven't had it validated. I mean, you would not let somebody in engineering write an ad for your company and put it on the front page of the New York Times. Right. So, you know, you would take a question that's an interviewing question and you'd socialize it with the the interviewing team, the stakeholders, uh, you know, whoever, to make sure that and you have a, 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 um, a library of questions that need to be asked. If proper questions are being asked, you're good. You're good. Uh, the other thing that happens in interviews is not giving the speakers, the, the, inter the candidates enough time to talk. I think it should be, you know, 80, 20, or 30, 70, where the candidate's talking most of the time. Um, Another thing is that when someone says something in a response to a question and it's like a really interesting thing, don't go on to the next question. You know, ask them about the thing they just said. Don't be connected to your questions. Get connected to the candidate. Find out what they want. You know, just relax them. That's another thing. Everyone should be relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the more naturally you're going to be. It just occurred for me, to me, for the person that's walking into the um, interview who may feel like they're um, in a group that may be unconsciously biased against them. I, I, I worked a lot with people with disabilities and stuff like that. Um, 
advice for them? I know this is kind of off feel off track, but advice for them if they're feeling like they're, you know, being seen as somebody that maybe doesn't fit or something. Tricks for them? That's a great question. You know, I'm going to tell you what I think, but I'm also okay. going to tell you, like, I don't know if this is the right answer. I don't know if I'm qualified to give you an answer I feel confident about. But I think if I had a disability and I was going into an interview and I didn't want that to get in the way, you know, I might do the same thing that if I didn't have a disability, I might highlight, oh, hey, I know you wanted somebody with this kind of work experience, but I have this other work experience. Like, hey, and I don't, again, I don't want to speak for someone who has a disability. I, I don't, I. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I don't have. A That's good okay. Answer. And I know I put you on the spot. It's just that I know that some okay. people that um, go in for an interview just immediately get a feeling that that the group is looking at them differently, or or you know has some bias. Uh, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that interview can do. Practice interviewing. I think that okay. would be good. Practice interviewing with friends and family and people that you know. Practice interviewing. That's the best way. Okay. Practice, practice, practice. That's something that I think, yeah, that would be helpful. Um, yeah, great, great advice. And I know I put you on this spot. I'm just thinking that sometimes okay. you walk into a room and you feel like you're not very welcome. And that kind of yeah. sets you off during the interview. And so I was just kind of hunting for tra- techniques. I will say that I think the breathing works for everybody just to get a little oxygen. Um, in, yeah. into your brain and then great advice about practicing because I think if you're confident in yourself maybe you're less um, influenced by what you think people are thinking about you is that something you know yeah is that something you go with or totally I mean the first time I, I was on my radio show I was nervous but you know after the hundredth time I was much more relaxed yeah and so less concerned about what people are thinking about you as what you're sharing Sure. Yeah. The first time I asked a girl on a date, I was like a bundle of a bag of worms. I was so anxious. um, We're going to take another short break. Um, We will be back and continue our conversation with Lauren. And we're going to dig into a little bit more about the workshops he gives and his, his work. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you worried your job will end? Is there someone in your life who is facing a layoff? Career transition specialist Lorraine Beeman has condensed 20 years of experience helping people cope with sudden unemployment into an easy-to-read how-to book, Career Restart. Practical advice for surviving and moving forward after a job loss. Knowing how to handle a job loss will help you move into your next job. This book guides you through the restart of your career, from how to prepare for a termination meeting to how to respond to interview questions about your job loss. Lorraine's book offers strategies for moving from terminated to hired. Tap into proven methods for changing the focus from job loss to career success. Career Restart, practical advice for surviving and moving forward after a job loss. Available at Amazon.com. Click the link on the Career Central show page to pick up your copy today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Career Central. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, you may send it to Lorraine at interviewtowork.com. That's Lorraine at interview, the number two, work.com. Now, back to Career Central. Welcome back to Career Central and our conversation with Lauren Epstein, we um, have been putting him on the spot for some pretty tough questions, and I have another one coming up right now. If you feel that unconscious bias is affecting your relationship with coworkers, should you bring up the topic, and if so, how? Oh, that's a really good question. So, uh, if someone, if, if you're, if you, if you have a coworker, and there's something about them that's bothering you. I would never accuse or say that they have unconscious bias. Okay. One, it's unconscious. So I can speak for myself, and I think anyone who's listening, like there are things about me that I have wanted to change about my mental pattern, my mental models, right? I've wanted some new mental models. And I have struggled, even though I want to change, right? There are habits that I want to change, things I want to do differently, and I have struggled. Some I've accomplished, but some I have not. There is no way that I can get someone else by, by saying this to change. It just doesn't happen. So like in my workshops, I create exercises where people do the exercises. I guide them and they see what's going on for themselves and they learn for themselves, the experiential learning. So I don't tell them they have bias. They see it for themselves. So I would never approach an employee or anybody at work and say, you've got unconscious bias. I think if there was a problem that I had with an employee, first question is, can I talk to them? Can I, you know, because maybe I can't. So if I can't, then I can't. And I'd figure another solution. But if I can talk to them, I might say, hey, look, when this happens, this is how I feel. Instead of accusing them of doing something, just say, hey, when this happens, this is how I feel. I feel, feel bad, or I feel some shame, or I don't feel good. And I'd have, add a request. I'm like, well, hey, like, can you not say that? Or can you not do that? Or can we talk about it? Right? So in a way that makes it like, hey, this is what's going on for you. Because the truth is, is that they may not realize what's going on for you. They may not be doing anything intentionally that's, you know, that's causing you whatever stress you have. And they may really want to be good to you. 
they really, 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 really want to be like really good to you. And like anything that's bothering you, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea this was bothering you. You know, what could we do to fix it? Now, that's not always the case, but that's what, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you have that opportunity to make those kinds of conversations? Does that make, is that? It does. I like what you said. First of all, make sure it's comfortable to talk to that person. There's some people that you're just not going to be able to talk to in that one-on-one. But if so, then approach it with, with, you know, when you said this or did this, this is how it made me feel. So that you're not saying don't do something. You're saying, this is how you made me feel. And then that gives them the option of saying, oh, I'm sorry. Or if they're not very um, sensitive, oh, well, get over it. But whatever it is, you've expressed it and you've given them the option to, to react. Now, yeah. we, we have challenged you over and over again to talk about what individuals can do, but I know that you work a lot at the organizational level. And for those of you that are listening, they're going, hey, I really want this change in my workplace. Can you share a little bit about the workshops that you do, how you come into organizations? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a public unconscious bias workshop that's 12 bucks, 90 minutes. Uh, we've got one almost every month. Uh, you can find it at laurenepstein.com. And you know, it's a 90-minute workshop where people learn the brain science. They do a bunch of exercises by themselves in groups. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's not heavy. And we talk about some of the techniques to mitigate bias. Um, I have like 20 hours of classwork, um, uh, how to remove bias from job descriptions, how to interview using scorecards, how to interview using experiential interviewing techniques, um, I have a, a five pillars of diversity workshop, an advanced unconscious bias workshop series, and I'll go into organizations. And my philosophy as, a, as an OD professional, organizational development professional, is really not to get you addicted to me, but I love teaching like you love teaching, Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And I want to, so I go in and I help them build cohorts within the organization, teach the cohorts how to mitigate the issues that they're, that they're dealing with, give them the tools and walk with them as they make the change in their organization. And what's great about that is, and why my clients love it, is that their teams learn how to make these changes. So they're, they don't need me. They're learning all these tools. They're building it into the culture. And you're creating a learning culture that sees the problem. Because there'll be problems after this, right? In my mind, this is like the starting point. But if an organization can learn to to do interventions with itself. You know, there are dozens of great interventions, you know, from, you know, ridiculously complex organizational changes to just how do people communicate better, right? And doing some surveys and using that data to make some small changes. Um, so the, the, the workshops are discrete. They're public and private. Companies have hired me to just do it for their organizations. And then I do this, uh, uh, these consulting engagements. So just to reinforce some of the things we've said earlier, if this is something that really um, you feel would benefit your workplace, be the hero. Um, Share this information with your HR, with your manager. Um, Again, it's it's great for you as an individual to be in a wonderful, you know, supportive workplace, but it's also good for the company. And so don't think it's just a personal problem. If you have some organizational issues going on, share that, you know, in that very positive gee, you know, um, I really like working here, heard this guy on, on a podcast, you know, I think we would really benefit, would reduce turnover. There's lots of reasons to um, support um, having a happy and supportive work environment, especially now employers don't like to lose talent. 
So yep. um, we ask each of our guests to give our listeners a five-second challenge that will help them begin to develop a career advancing strategy. What would you like to challenge our listeners to do? Something they can do fairly quickly, but start to maybe be in the perspective of, of understanding maybe unconscious bias or something else that you think would be valuable. Breathe. 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 Take slow, deep breaths. So as you breathe in, you count up to 10. So at the 10, you're at a full breath. Okay. You hold your breath for a few seconds, and okay. then you let it go slowly for 10 seconds. Do that. It's taking no more than 30 seconds. And do that when you're upset, when you're anxious, when you're feeling bad. Just do that. And do it two or three times. Fantastic. I love, That's it. I love the advice. Um, before we close out, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Well, I wanted to say, Lorraine, this has been so much fun. You are an awesome host. Oh, thank you. You have been a great guest. I, um, I, will, I will share that I am stalking him for a while to get him to be on the show. And I thought this was the perfect way to start the, the new year. So I want to thank you for being um, our guest today. Um, for some of you that if you're close to losing a job, um, I encourage you to check out my book, Career Restart, which is the practical advice for surviving and moving forward after a job loss. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's a quick read, starts with strategies for handling a layoff meeting and ends with strategies for transitioning to a new job. And a lot of what we talked about today, um, I put on how you can ask for these kinds of um, meetings that first day, getting to know people. That is so important. And thank you for um, sharing that with us, um, Lauren. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or another platform that lets you rate our show and leave comments, please let us know how we were doing. Career Central is committed to bringing practical career advancing advice to you every week. Your feedback helps us um, determine who our guests will be and what topics we'll cover. So again, the way to reach me is at careercentralhost at gmail.com. That's careercentralhost at gmail.com. Now, I want to remind you about Lauren's five-second challenge. And Lauren, if I miss this up, jump in. But I think it's great advice. Perfect way to start the year. Stress, anxiety, something going on at work. You want to just kind of jump at somebody for something. Breathe slowly. Take in the breath. 10 seconds. Hold it. Release it. And there is a scientific reason for doing that. And Lauren, why don't you remind people what's happening when you're breathing? You're deconnecting the energy away from your amygdala and you're shoving it to your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex is where all of your higher thinking comes in, your decision-making, your, your cognition and your agency, all that good stuff happens up there. So let's, let's get our brain on our side for this yeah. year as we move forward. Because I don't know about you, um, there were a lot of times in 2020 I could have used this. And I think for the 2021 is going to also call on us to, to use those techniques and those strategies. Until our next show, um, this is Lorraine Beeman encouraging you to take care of your career because you are really the only one qualified to do it. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Career Central. Be sure to join your host, Lorraine Beeman, for another program next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time 
on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.